Okay, welcome brothers and sisters to another episode of BQ, the BQA. We are truly thankful to Yehovah Abba for giving us this opportunity uh, to share our faith with other individuals. Now, of course, our topic for today is quite controversial, and we don't always, we don't require everyone to agree with completely, completely to everything that we present and teach in this uh, program, but please do follow along and look into the biblical teachings that we're going to be presenting so that we can protect ourselves uh, from the beast and from deception and be completely loyal to Yahuwah and to his beloved son, Yahusha HaMashiach. So what is the mark of the beast? If you still remember, some weeks ago in one of our BHPs, we talked about the beast and the beast is identified as an individual who's going to imitate Yahusha because he will want worship for himself. And he is, of course, being empowered by the devil. And so he will do his best to try and deceive the whole world so that people can lose or not receive salvation. So when we presented that topic, uh, one of our viewers uh, had a lot of questions surrounding it. And these are the questions that we're going to be discussing this evening. Uh, here it is. Uh, dear Brother John, Shalom, brother. My questions are, what could the mark of the beast be and how to avoid them? And then she has like eight questions that we're going to be looking into. I'm not going to go to the questions right now, but we'll go through them one by one as we need to. The first thing we need to know, however, is what could the mark of the beast be? So by way of review, let's go to Revelation 13, 16 to 18. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And so that's where the question comes from, a passage in Revelation identifying the beast and the mark associated with the beast. And those who have this mark cannot buy cannot sell. They have the mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And the number associated with the beast is the number 666. So what is the mark of the beast exactly? Well, before we answer that question, we need to first identify context. Now, when we speak of context, we need to remember the book of Revelation was revealed to the apostle John and when it was revealed to the Apostle John, he was instructed to write down the things that are and to write down the, the things that are going to happen in the future. And so it applies uh, in the present and it also applies uh, at the present during the time of the Apostle John, so in the first century. And so it directly applies to the people who was the immediate audience of the Apostle John. And at the same time, it also applies to us prophetically, because Apostle John wrote with two things in mind, the present during his time, the first century, and also during the end times. And so when we look at Revelation and try to understand what the mark could possibly be, we need to have that context in mind. So the first thing we need to understand is the immediate audience. 
who was the immediate audience of the Apostle John, because they need to make sense of what Apostle John is writing about, right? Because he, they are the immediate audience. Well, who are they? In Revelation 1, 9 to 11, I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom of kingdom and patience of Yahusha Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Yahusha Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So the immediate audience by which we can identify the context of the mark of the beast were the seven ecclesias. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, which resided in Asia Minor, placed near or in Turkey today. So that's the context. And we also know the time frame, like around 90 AD or before 90 AD. We cannot be, of course, absolutely certain. But we know that the immediate audience were the seven ecclesias around this time or during the days or time of our King Yahusha and the apostles, what was happening in this area? Well, let's go ahead and take a look at this reference, Rise of the Imperial Cult. To begin with, it was customary for Roman emperors to be deified uh, posthumously and revered as gods by their fellow citizens. This was exemplified by the deification of Julius Caesar after his death and his adopted son, Augustus, who subsequently adopted the title Son of God. This designation was based on a simple premise. If his father was now a god, then as his son, he must be the son of God. However, even though it was customary to deify an emperor after their death, some Greeks residing in different cities across the eastern regions of the empire, like where Asia Minor is, they worshiped the Roman emperor while they were still alive. And so during the reign of the Roman Empire, the imperial cult was born. This was started by Augustus, who began to call himself son of God. And because of this, many people under the Roman Empire, well, they wanted to gain favor from the Caesar or from the Roman emperor. And so they began to worship the Roman emperor even while he was still alive. So even though the emperor was still alive, they were referring to him and deifying him as a deity or as a god. And so the beginning of emperor worship started with Augustus. And because more and more people were, were trying to gain the approval of the emperor, there was like a competition on who can please the emperor the most. And those who were able to please the emperor the most, they, they received a designation. What was that designation? The term neokoros is a Greek word that means temple sweeper or temple servant. In ancient times, some cities in the Greek and Roman empires were designated as Neokoros. And so the different cities like Smyrna, like Philadelphia, 
like Ephesus. They wanted to have a, designate, a designation called Neokoros. If you were a Neokoros city, then you were, you were pleasing to the emperor and the emperor blessed you, okay? And so they wanted to have that status. And the word Neokoros means temple warden cities, meaning they were responsible for maintaining and protecting important temples dedicated to the Roman emperor or other gods. This was considered a great honor and a way for cities to show their loyalty to the emperor and gain favor with him. Neokoro cities were also entitled to certain privileges and exemptions, such as tax breaks and immunity from some forms of punishment. Overall, the concept of Neokoros represented an important aspect of the relationship between the Roman Empire and its subject cities, as well as the significance of religion in the ancient world. And so what Augustus started, which was claiming himself to be the son of God, caught fire. Many people who wanted to win the favor of the Roman emperor, they begin to worship him, they begin to deify him, they did their best to please him. And so you have, you have different locals local congregations or different uh, municipalities or cities, and they wanted to please the Roman emperor so that they can gain what is the Neokoros status. And there was a study conducted by Erin Aiosa uh, called the Imperial Cult in Ephesus. The founding of the Roman Imperial Cult is a fascinating story of greed, flattery, and outright lies. First begun, under the Emperor Augustus, the imperial cult was used to show allegiance with Rome, but gradually became the cause for steep competition amongst the eastern provinces. Before becoming a competition for distinction, the imperial cult manifested itself on Greek coins with the term neokoros. Originally, the term was applied to the priests of the imperial cult, but eventually the term became known as a title for favored Eastern cities, as well as bragging rights amongst the Greeks. Uh, the imperial cult temples appear to show reverence for Rome and the emperor, but what they really show is the competition between Greek entities for the title Neokoros. By putting the term Neokoros on coinage, Ephesus, for example, was able to promote their city as being favored by Rome, while also holding on to their Greek heritage. And so what we find is certain cities in the eastern part of Rome, well, they were competing for the affection of the emperor. And so there was a competition among different cities on who can please the emperor the most for the attainment of privileges. And according to Tacitus in his book, Annals, with a long history of ties to Rome, including an ancient alliance and a temple to Roma built in about 195 BC. Smyrna was an obvious choice for an imperial temple in Asia. Along with the other cities of Asia province, Smyrna competed for the honor of building a temple to Tiberius in 26 AD, winning the honor and becoming the temple warden of the imperial Cult. And so as part of the competition, not only did they seek to worship uh, the emperor, they also wanted to build a temple for the emperor. And one of the first to, to do that was Smyrna. So you have Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, 
all of them, those cities, right? They were involved in emperor worship. There were, of course, disciples of Yahusha in those cities who did not want to engage in emperor worship. What do you think would happen to them? They would be persecuted. They would be singled out. They would be identified. This is why the disciples of Yahusha, with the advent of emperor worship, because they refused emperor worship and pledged loyalty and allegiance to Yahusha, well, they were going to be identified as dissidents. And so they would receive intense persecution. So if, for example, you were living in Smyrna and they built a beautiful temple for Tiberius, one of the Caesars, the emperor, and you refused worship, what would happen to you? You're going to be killed. You're going to be martyred. And Smyrna was known to be uh, the place where many disciples of our King Yahusha were martyred because they rejected the worship of the, uh, the emperor. And they remained loyal and remained faithful to our King Yahusha. And so having this background, Apostle John, when he writes to the seven assemblies, identifies the mark. And what is this mark all about, knowing this background, this context about the seven assemblies and the challenges that they were facing? Well, Apostle John identifies this mark and associates it with the following ideas and the following things. What are they? He associates the mark with the image of the beast. So there's the image of the beast, and this image that is the image of the beast is also associated to the mark of the name of the beast. You have the image and the name. They kind of go together. And so there's like this loyalty to the name and the image of the beast. And to have the name and the image of the beast means that you can buy, you can sell. In other words, you have approval to carry out certain transactions. And so during the time of the Roman emperor, the emperor of Rome, well, he had power over everything that was done in his empire. And so business transactions would be over, would be, uh, would be watched over and monitored by the, the emperor and, of course, his uh, political partners. And so the image of the beast and the authority to buy and sell, the mark of the name of the beast, all of that is associated with that mark. And the Greek word used for mark in this passage is the Greek word charagma, right? 5480, charagma. The term mark has no special biblical usage apart from its association with the beast. Because when you look at charagma in the Blue Letter Bible, the only time it's used is when it's referring to the beast. And so they like, it's like Apostle John invented that word. And it, it was only used for the beast, except for one instance in the book of Acts 17, which is referring to idolatry, the image of idolatry. And so the, the, the word charagma is a Greek term that was commonly used for imprints on documents or coins. Charagma is well attested to have been an imperial seal of the Roman Empire used on official documents during the first and second centuries. 
for you to be able to carry out business transactions or legal transactions, you need a stamp of approval, right? A stamp of approval is called a charagma, and it bears the name and image of the emperor. This is why it's even found in coins. The coins are everywhere in the Roman world, and the coins includes the image and the name of the emperor. And according to a scholar, a Bible scholar by the name of Craig Keener in his book, the application book for the NIV, in the specific application for Revelation, he says the emperor's image was everywhere, especially on coins. Modern folks are used to this. In my country, images of former national leaders are on our money, but Rome was slightly different. Caesar's image would be on coins along with his claim to divinity. Quite literally, the emperor's boast that he was in some way divine was etched, dare I say, marked on money, decrees, and the like. One scholar observes that one could do little in commerce without handling such a mark because allusions to the emperor's divinity appeared on many coins and even shipping bills and other documents. During this time period, involvement in local economies would have often required some sort of participation in pagan worship. For example, trade guilds often had feasts that centered around the worship of idols. If you're part of the guild, then your participation in these feasts would have been compulsory. That is, only if you wanted to be able to buy and sell. And so what was set up in the different uh, cities, including Smyrna and Ephesus and Pergamum and other cities throughout the Roman world, were these trade guilds. And in the trade guilds, for you to be part of it, you would have to accept uh, emperor worship, idol worship, and the certain rules concerning feasts that you had to observe. And if you observed in it and you participated in it, it means you had to denounce Christ. You had to reject Yahusha and pledge exclusive loyalty and allegiance to the Roman emperor. And so if you were to do that, then you would be given the privilege to, part, to be a part of the guild. And that would mean you could buy, you could sell, you had certain privileges because you were part of the guild. And so th this was a big deal to the seven assemblies because to be able to carry out their businesses, to be able to make a living, they had to reject Yahusha. And that was a test for the seven assemblies. This is why the letter of the Apostle John written in the book of Revelation, the primary audience were the seven assemblies because they, they needed to know how to respond to the political climate and how everyone was now expected to worship the emperor. And so according to uh, some historians like Pliny in his book letters, at certain times and in certain locations in the empire, the only way to be a good standing citizen would have been to simply curse Christ and worship Caesar's image. This would have been a particular problem for Christians in Asia Minor 
they would often find it impossible to make a living and worship Yahusha exclusively. And so we now have an understanding of what the mark means, right? The mark basically means, and it was understood by the seven assemblies of the first century to represent exclusive allegiance and loyalty to the Roman emperor. To receive the mark meant to gain his approval, okay? So Apostle John was warning about rejecting Yahushua because for you to gain approval of the Roman emperor, for you to, to, uh, to have exclusive allegiance and loyalty to the Roman emperor, you had to reject Yahushua because otherwise it would not be exclusive. The Roman emperor did not want your allegiance to him and to Yahushua. No, he wanted it for himself only. Exclusive loyalty and allegiance to the Roman emperor. And so when you were able to show and demonstrate exclusive allegiance and loyalty to the Roman emperor, then you have the approval. The approval from the Roman emperor that represents what? The mark. And so Apostle John, in his writing to the seven assemblies, do not gain the approval of the Roman emperor, because that would mean you rejected Yahusha and you have accepted the Roman emperor as your new king. And so this was the message of the seven of Apostle John to the seven assemblies. Well, why then is what why is it a mark on the forehead or hand? Is it literal or symbolical? And so when we go back to the seven assemblies in the first century, I don't believe there is any documentation that the people of Rome received any kind of physical mark on their right hand or on forehead. It was a symbolical mark. Okay, so in the first century, when the Apostle John wrote about the mark in application to the Roman emperor's approval, when one is pledging allegiance to him, it was a symbolical mark not a literal mark, then if it is a symbolical mark and not a literal mark, then why does it say it is a mark on the forehead or on the hand, right? Because if it says forehead, hand, it can suggest a physical, literal mark, right? And so what does that mean? Why does it say that those who, are, who receive the mark on the right hand are on their foreheads, what does that mean if it's not a physical, literal mark? Well, when we read the book of Revelation, we have to understand it also from the context of the whole Bible. So when the Bible speaks of the right hand, because throughout scripture, it mentions right hand hundreds of times, not just several times, but hundreds of times. And what does the right hand represent? In the book of Exodus 15 in the verses six, it says, your right hand, O Yahuwah, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Yahuwah, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And so when the Bible mentions right hand, what comes to mind? It often refers to your favored hand. This is, what, this is because many people then and today, the vast majority of individuals are what? Right-handed, right? And so when you speak of the right hand, it refers to your favored or stronger hand. And so when the Bible says, your right hand, O Yahuwah, your right hand, O Yahuwah, it's referring to Yahuwah's favored hand. In Revelation 117, 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And throughout scripture, we know of references to you sitting at the right hand of God, right? This is the favored hand. This is like what is what represents strength and authority. And so the right hand represents one's strength, one's preference. And when it comes to the hand, it, refer, it refers to, what does it also refer to? In the book of Psalms 90, verse 17, and let the beauty of Yahuwah, our God, be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so the hand represents work or service. The right hand represents the best of our works or service. So when one receives the mark on the right hand, it basically means you're dedicating your best work to please the beast. And we, you know, during the reign of the Roman emperors, so many competed for his affection and loyalty. They wanted to please the emperor more than anyone else because to them, he was like the representation of deity, God himself. And so the right hand represents dedication and hard work. Well, how about forehead? What does that represent? In Ezekiel 9, 4 down to 6, he said to him, walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. Then I heard Yahuwah say to the other men, follow him through the city and kill everyone whose forehead is not marked. Show no mercy, have no pity, kill them all, old and young, girls and women, and little children. But do not touch anyone with the mark. Begin right here at the temple. So they began by killing the 70 leaders. And so what we read was about Yahuwah's judgment against Jerusalem, against Israel, because the sins of Jerusalem reached its full fullness. And so judgment was going to be carried out. And so before judgment was to be carried out, there were some remnants who did not deserve to be punished. And so what was given to them? A mark. Who were those who were given the mark? The Bible says for the mark, on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins being committed in their city. And so those who were loyal to Yahuwah, those who gave priority to Yahuwah and worshiped Yahuwah to the point that when there was sin being done in the city, they wept. It affected them as well because they identified themselves with who? Yahuwah. That's what the forehead represents. The forehead represents your loyalty, your allegiance. Those who were loyal to Yahuwah, whenever there was sin, sins present, they wept. They sighed because they were loyal to Yahuwah. They were, they pledged their allegiance to Yahuwah. And so they were given a mark on the, on the forehead. The forehead represents one's uh, loyalty and allegiance. And so having said that, right, what does it mean for someone to receive the mark on the forehead from the beast? Well, receiving the mark on one's forehead means pledging one's exclusive 
loyalty and allegiance to the beast. And so we go back again, that mark is associated with pleasing, giving loyalty to, and giving priority to the beast, basically expressing devotion to the beast. And how else does the Apostle John connect these ideas of the mark of the beast to Rome? Well, let's go ahead and keep reading the mark that we read about in 13, uh, 15 to 18, mentions a mark, and then it says, or the name of the beast. So the mark is also the name of the beast. And this name of the beast is also an image. And the name has a number. And the number of this name is the number 666. Now, when Apostle John wrote this, those who were alive in the first century understood what he meant. Because what was prevalent during that time was what was called uh, gematria, which we discussed before, where individual letters represented a number. This was very common during that time. And so when he spoke about a man with a number, the number of his name, he knew, they knew what Apostle John meant. And so they were going to compute or to calculate the number of this man. And we know that whoever this beast is, it is one who is requiring loyalty to himself, requiring worship to himself, and it's one of the Roman emperors. And we studied before that one of, one of those who kind of stand out because they were the first one to systematically persecute and to kill the disciples of Yahushua was who? Nero, right? He was like the most diabolical of Rome's 12 Caesars. He practiced Machiavellian rules. He burned Rome to the ground. And then he used as scapegoat the disciples of who? Yahushua. I mean, they were already in bad standing because they did not want to worship the emperor. And so everyone had animosity and hostility against the, the, the followers of Yahushua, the disciples. And so when Rome when was burnt down, Emperor Nero had the perfect scapegoat, the disciples of Yahushua. And so that started the systematic killing and persecution of the followers of Yahushua. And so one by one, they would be, you know, they were subjects of mockery. The way they would be killed are in various heinous ways, for example, covered with skins of beasts. They were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burned to serve as a night, nightly illumination. And so the, peop, the followers of Yahushua, the disciples in the first century, they know all about Nero. As a matter of fact, even today, a lot of people know about Nero. When we think of a diabolical Roman emperor, Nero comes to mind. And during the first century, Nero was in the mind of the disciples of Yahushua because of what he started. Not only did he start the Christian persecution, it was ongoing even after the death of Nero. So even after the death of Nero, the disciples of Yahushua, they were kind of afraid of him. And so when the apostle John wrote that this man has a name and that the name can be computed to, to add up to 666, well, they knew this must be Nero. And sure enough, if you add Kaiser Nero, which is what appears on the coin, 
it mentions the, the Caesar, Caesar Nero, Kaiser Neron. The word Neron is a, what do you call that? It's a, one of uh, the ways that you mention his name. And this is found in archaeological digs. In papyrus, they find Kaiser Neron on it. And so when you compute the letters of Kaiser Neron or Caesar, Caesar Nero, you find 666. And so it seems like, okay, it makes sense. That when the Apostle John was writing about the mark of the beast, he was talking about the Roman emperors. Do not receive the mark. Do not receive, do not engage in emperor worship, even if it means having a great advantage by doing so. Reject it, because if you were to engage in emperor worship, you were rejecting Yahusha as our king. So Neron, Kaiser Neron, 666, it makes sense because it connects all the dots. But there's a problem. There's an issue here. Remember last time we talked about the Greek manuscripts, how the New Testament that we have today in English come from ancient Greek manuscripts and that there are different Greek manuscripts? Well, it turns out there are Greek manuscripts that doesn't say 666 as a number. Yeah. For example, this Greek manuscript here, it says 616. And so when you compute the number, it doesn't say, it doesn't come out 666, it comes out 616. So which is it, 666 or 616? And so this is like a very controversial topic. In fact, if you go to your Bible and when you read Revelation 13, and it says 666, look at the footnote. The footnote says in some manuscripts, it is not 666, but 616. So which is it, 666, 616? Well, according to this study, the number of the beasts in Revelation 13 in light of papyri, papyri, graffiti, and inscriptions, the alternative reading, 616, has only limited attestation in ancient manuscripts, but... Here's the important part. It does appear in Codex Ephraimi, uh, C, which dates from the 5th century and is generally ranked along with Alexandrius as one of the best textual witnesses. And so 616, although it doesn't have as many uh, Greek manuscripts that back it up, it does have some very, very important ones. One, uh, ones that are ranked right up there with the Alexandrianist ones because it is very close to the first century. For example, this one, the Codex Ephraimi, it dates to the fifth century. So it's pretty close relative to the other Greek texts. And so one could make the argument that it could be 616. So if it's 616 instead of 666, well, do we still have a case suggesting Roman emperors to be the main subject matter of the Apostle John warning the seven assemblies about. Well, it turns out, remember when we computed Kaiser Neron, it turns out there are two ways that the name of Nero is portrayed in ancient history. Um, Kaiser Neron is an alternative reading. In fact, it is a rare reading. It's only found in some papyri. Most of what you find in the evidence, most of what you find in the archaeological digs is not Caesar Neron, 
but Caesar Nero, right? And so when we get the number, when we calculate the number for Caesar Nero, it comes up to 616, which is astonishing, which is really uh, phenomenal because whichever way you go, 666 or 616, it identifies the Roman emperor, specifically Nero, who started it all, right? The persecution of the followers or disciples of our king, Yahusha. So when we look at the mark of the beast, you cannot just say mark of the beast in isolation. You have to look at the whole context, right? Because the mark of the beast is associated with the image of the beast, the name of the beast, the number of that name, and also the ability to buy and sell. It also, and you have to also consider the right hand and the forehead. So taking, taking this collectively, taking the entire context, it points to the Roman emperors, specifically Nero, who was the main subject matter of the Apostle John when he wrote to the seven assemblies. Because the members of the assembly of Yahusha in the first century were not given marks, or the people during that time were not given physical marks on their right hands or on their foreheads, it would suggest that this, uh, the mark of the beast is not a physical mark, but a symbolical mark. Like, yeah, like the thumb mark symbol that means one being one with the beast, something like that. And so it represents like allegiance, loyalty, right? So when you gain the approval of the leader, when you gain the approval of the beast, then that is like uh, what the mark is all about. So it, it can be symbolical. However, is it possible, uh, following question, is the mark of the beast literal, like uh, a, an implant chip? Have you heard that before? When they plant a microchip on your forehead or an electronic tattoo, right? Or could it be a branding, just like what happened to the Holocaust victims? I would say this, it's possible. Because when the apostle John wrote and warned the seven assemblies about the mark of the beast, that was for the immediate fulfillment, right? That was for the immediate warning. But it also contains a prophetic warning because what we know about the beast is that his final coming, the final beast, is not until afterwards. It's not until in the future, toward the end times. Why do we know this? In 1 John 2, verse 18, Apostle John says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So Apostle John, when he wrote, to, he wrote, he wrote his letters, he wrote about the Antichrist. The Antichrist is also the beast. In the book of Revelation, he doesn't mention Antichrist at all. He mentions it in his other letters. In his letters that where we find that we find in the Holy Bible, that is under the heading 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, he identifies the Antichrist. And then he mentions that you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. So he, he, he hasn't arrived yet, right? And Apostle John is referring to the Antichrist. 
What does that mean? The word the. the this is the final iteration of the Antichrist. The Antichrist of the end times, right? I mean, like the, the, at the last second of the last hour, at the final, uh, the final ages, the, ends of the, the end of the age, that's when the Antichrist is going to come. And so Apostle John knows there's going to be this Antichrist in the future. But at the same time, when he was writing the book of Revelation and writing his letters to 1 John, he also knows there were already antichrists and he identified one already right the roman empire roman emperors particularly nero but he also says there are many antichrists and so there are many antichrists because he was referring no doubt not only to nero but to domitian diocletian and the other emperors that followed nero all the way to constantine and so apostle john knows this this is why he knows there is the Antichrist, and there are those who are Antichrist during the first century. And the Apostle John, when he wrote to the seven assemblies, he was warning them about the present condition, because there was already an Antichrist during that time. And so he was warning them, do not accept the worship of these Roman emperors. Do not worship them. Do not gain their approval, because that would mean rejecting who? Yahusha, Okay. That's what, that was the immediate application of Revelation. But Apostle John was also writing in the future because Revelation is about events that will take place soon after this. And so he was writing prophetically. And so when he spoke about the beast, he wrote about the beast at present in the first century and the beast that's going to, be, to come, the Antichrist. And when we uh, examine the term Antichrist, we know it could refer to one who is against Christ, which Caesars would be, right? They were against Christ. They were against Yahushua. They were against the Messiah. And so that's an antichrist. But antichrist can also mean a replacement of Christ. I want you to keep that in mind. But Apostle John, when he was still alive, he knew the antichrist, the antichrist is going to come. But while he was writing, there was already the Roman emperor's and they, to him, was antichrists, many antichrists. So like a fractal pattern, the antichrist figure will have several repetitions culminating in the final appearance, the, where the antichrist is going to have all these powers, and it's going to intensify as it culminates to the appearing of the antichrist. And so knowing this, it means that there's going to be a future Antichrist. And there's going to be a future Mark, right? And there's going to be a future image of the beast, a future meaning of right hand and forehead, a future meaning of buying and selling, a future meaning of the number of his name and the number 666. So this is going to be fulfilled in full is going to be fulfilled with even more gravity, with even more intensity at, during the end times, during our time today. So if it was fulfilled during the, Roman, during the first century with the Roman emperors, and we know that was intense, all the more, this is going to be intense. And when we look at the mark again, which was charagma, 
That mark, it turns out, is like a stamp, an imprinted mark, a thing carved. And so it's like a graven, a scratch or etching. So it could be, it's possible that it's a physical mark in the future. It's possible that the, this antichrist that is to come, this beast who is going to come in the future is going to be so diabolical. And because of the advent of new technology, it's possible something can be etched, maybe in the forehead, maybe in the, the right hand of individuals to be able to control them. Because nowadays we know of electronic implants, we know of the technology that exists, we know about artificial intelligence and how that can be incorporated soon in microchips that can be planted in you. So that's a possibility. Technology advancing and it has advanced in such a way where we can expect something can be etched on your skin that will allow the beast to monitor you and to control what you can and cannot do. That is beyond the ability of the Roman emperor during the days of the first century. And so that's a possibility. And it's not unusual to think of a mark being a physical or literal mark because the marking has been common throughout society as a means of tribal identification. So they're during the reign of the beast. He wants to identify those who belong to him. He could give them a mark, right? It could be uh, a sign of punishment or a sign of ownership. Maybe the beast wants to make sure all my the people that belong to me, I'm going to give them a sign of ownership. It's like, a, what do you call that? When you brand something, right? When you brand, for example, an animal. And so you claim ownership of that animal, right? So that's one of the ways that marking is employed back in ancient times, right? Or loyalty to a pagan deity. As a, as a, as a matter of fact, in 3rd Maccabees 2.29, which is a Jewish book, it records an incident in which the Jews were branded by Ptolemy Philippator with the Greek religious Dionysian ivy leaf symbol. This was to mock them. Uh, and we all know about the Holocaust. Jews were marked by Nazis during 1930s and 1940s for punishment. Okay, So that they could identify who that person was after they burned them because they had that mark. And so they had like a barcode on, on them, something like that. And so all of this is happening and when history tends to repeat itself. So there's a possibility that with the last Antichrist, the Antichrist, the Antichrist of the Antichrists, right? When this beast power emerges, it's possible that uh, there's going to be a physical a mark, which is also symbolical because having that mark means allegiance and loyalty to the beast power, okay? All right, let's go to the next question. If it's number four, is the number of the beast started? Has the mark of the beast already started? Well, I'd like to rephrase that question to this question. Can a person unknowingly receive the mark of the beast? Because there are people who reject, for example, COVID-19 vaccine. And when doctors ask them, why don't you want to receive the vaccination? because it's, it could be the mark of the beast. And so some people think that, that you can accidentally receive the mark of the beast. But think about it. Is it possible 
to accidentally receive the mark of the beast? What do you think? Is it possible to accidentally receive it? Before you answer that question, I want you to read to receive this to, to read this passage. Okay, to re to read to receive the mark of the beast requires that you worship the image of the beast. It requires your allegiance and dedication and loyalty to the beast, and it involves your allegiance to the name of the beast. So you take it collectively. You don't just take one part, mark on the right hand or on the forehead, right? And then say, okay, I received the mark of the beast. This is why you cannot say that COVID-19 vaccine is a mark of the beast. Because for you to say that, well, you have to identify the COVID vaccine with the image of the beast, which means you have to reject Yahusha. If you take the vaccine and at the same time, which and before you can take the vaccine, you are required to renounce and reject Yahusha, then that's the mark of the beast, right? And so the mark of the beast comes with exclusivity. What does that mean? It means you are pledging loyalty and allegiance, which is exclusive only to the beast. It means before you can receive that mark, you have to renounce Yahusha. You have to reject Yahusha, just like during the first century. Right? This is why you cannot accidentally take it. Because for you to take it, it means you cognitively, purposely, intently reject Yahusha to accept allegiance to the beast. Get it? This is why the mark cannot be accidentally taken because it is intimately tied to the exclusive worship of and loyalty and devotion to the beast. And so do not be afraid um, of receiving it accidentally. You're going to receive the mark of the beast means you reject Yahusha and then you accept the mark because it will give you privileges. It will give you advantages. It's a way to avoid suffering because during the end times when doing the beast powers, it could be that before you can avail of medical procedures or medication, before you can obtain things that you need for your life, you need to first pledge allegiance to the beast. But before you can pledge allegiance to the beast, you need to first renounce your loyalties to others. And so that's the only way for you to receive the mark of the beast. Number seven, is it possible that there are representatives of the beast or little horns planted on different churches and government institutions throughout the world like a pattern or a fractal before the actual work of the real beast, the Antichrist, comes. Is that possible? Yes, because we know of the repetitive nature of biblical patterns. We call this a fractal pattern that repeats and intensifies until it climaxes to its final and most complete version or iteration. We know the Antichrist represents those who are against Christ. And we think when you think of being against Christ, you think of the Roman emperors because they were against Christ. However, it could also mean a replacement of Christ. And so when we speak of Antichrist, it could also be one who is replacing Yahushua. This is why it can also be found in religious groups even today. Why? Because it's already happened. When we look at this pattern, of the Antichrist and the mark. There, there's a religion that has already fulfilled this. The image 
of the beast, the right hand and the forehead, no one may buy or sell. And when you compute the number of his name, it comes out to 666. When this was first applied to the seven assemblies, given as a warning not to receive um, Roman worship or emperor worship, well, the apostle, uh, perhaps unbeknownst to the apostle John, this would have another iteration, another fulfillment. This time, the beast is going to act as a replacement of Yahusha and a replacement of Yahusha. One of the titles of a replacement for Yahusha is a Vicarib's Philidi, right? Viker of the Son of God. Viker means successor of the Son of God. And we know the Viker of the Son of God, according to certain researchers, the Pope represents uh, Vicarib's Philidi. Um, and this came from a Seventh Day Adventist publication. And it identifies the Pope as the fulfillment of 666, because when you add up the numbers of Vicarius Philidi, which is what's on a tiara of the Pope, it comes up to 666. But it's not just about the number. You also look at whether or not it fits the other contextual elements of Revelation chapter 13, meaning, you know, uh, having the beast image having the beast's powers where he controls the clergy or he controls the people under his leadership so they cannot buy, they cannot sell. In other words, before they can carry out the religious duties, they need to first receive approval from the Pope. So he has control of the members under his leadership. And so you have these, the, the, the right hand and the forehead they pledge loyalty to the Pope. And so when you have all those things together, it does fit the pattern, right? And so when the Bible speaks of the pattern, Revelation 13, fractal pattern, Revelation 13, and it speaks of the beast, when we think of the beast and we think of in a context of religion, what does our King Yahushua warn us about? Revelation 2, 6 and 15, but this you have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Those are pretty powerful words from our King Yahushua. I mean, how often do you hear a King Yahushua say hate? But here twice, Yahushua says he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and he hates the doctrines of the Nicolaitans. And so what are the, who are the Nicolaitans? Well, we don't really know. However, we get a clue because of the, the word Nicolaitan itself. It comes from two words, Nico, uh, Nikau, and Latins. Nikau means clergy. Latins means the laity or the common people. And so what our King Yahusha is speaking about here is about a system of religion where the clergy is overpowering, oppressing, and being lords and rulers over the laity or over the common people. And this is what we have in the Catholic Church. When you look at what the Catholic Pope has done, their decrees, their beliefs, they believe that they can cast a person to hell 
you, they believe that they can forgive your sins. They believe that they alone can interpret scripture, that you cannot question them. All of that is associated with the idea of Nicolaitanism or Nicolaitans. And so this idea of the Nicolaitans and the beast in the form of religion, the beast-powered religion, is the religion that adopts the philosophy of the Nicolaitans, where you have oppressive powers of the Catholic, just like the Catholic Church, where you have oppressive powers from the ones who are at the top of the hierarchy. Remember what you just said? You have to be different from the world. Those who are leaders among you, you have, they have to be servants, not lords, not rulers. And so having said that, the pattern of Revelation 13 about the mark can really express the following ideas, which we would like to give as a warning. If you belong to any religion that has these characteristics, it's best that you leave it. Okay, because it's following the pattern of not only the Nicolaitans, but also the mark of the beast and the beast pattern. Okay, what are they? Beware of religious organizations with these characteristics. They claim that they are the only true church because the exclusivity, that's the trump card of the beast worship, exclusivity. They claim that they're the only ones who can rightly explain the Bible. It's like the Nicolaitans. Their leader cannot be questioned. You question the leader, you're going to be expelled. Questioning their leader is the unforgivable sin. Their leader is able to expel you from the book of life. Imagine if they have powers like that. You cannot do anything without the approval of their leader. You want to conduct an activity? You know, maybe it's not like buying or selling, but basically any transaction that you want to do for example if you want to start a worship service group we got to get approval first from this leader otherwise you cannot carry out your worship so you need approval even for conducting worship Can you imagine that religions there are religions who, that are like that you need approval for everything that you do just like you need approval from the roman emperor for every transaction that is done under the roman emperor em empire uh, they promote the name of their spiritual re re leader rather than the name of Yahuwah and Yahusha. The image of their leader is to be found in the members' homes and in every place of worship and gatherings. I mean, even today, you know, when they have these shows or maybe they're showing something on social media, you have to show the name. And so you have to glorify somehow the, 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 the spiritual leader. <laughs> what else? The image, I mean, if, and if the, the, the leader's picture is not in your house, you're going to be um, in big trouble. Their leader is regularly promoted. He's always mentioned. He's always the hero of every worship service. This is why people begin to ask, well, how about the Christ? No, they, they take second fiddle. Christ becomes second fiddle, right? You are required to pledge loyalty and allegiance to their leader. You have to show devotion to their leader. As a matter of fact, if, you know, they're praying to their leader about their leader, and if you don't show the expression of affection 
because they have video cameras watching you, then you're in trouble. <laughs> Why did you not show affection when, <laughs> right? You are required to surrender your human rights to their spiritual leader. Yeah. And sometimes the way a spiritual leader will hide this is, you know, we have to surrender our human rights to God. So whatever God says, we do. But wait a minute. How do we know what God says? Whatever the leader says is what God says. Right? And so you're basically saying, okay, you are surrendering human rights to the spiritual leader because only the spiritual leader is able to correctly explain what the will of God is. And so if you belong to a religious organization that has these characteristics, you better get out because that's not the religion that belongs to our king, Yahushua. That is the pattern that is followed by the beast pattern. That is the beast pattern found in the book of Revelation chapter 13, okay? Or could it be that the beast is doing the same thing as Abba and the Holy Spirit do? Could the beast be sealing and planting us with deception in our heads, hearts, and hands, symbol of work or action? I might unknowingly obey the commands of the beast. And so she's really concerned because she doesn't want to be deceived. And we know the beast is going to deceive. And how will he deceive? He will try and imitate everything the king is going to do. Because everything the king is going to do is already in the Bible. It's already in the work of the prophets. Because the Bible says Yahuwah is not going to do anything unless he first, first reveals it to the prophets. So, so the devil, he knows the Bible. The devil can read. He's very intelligent. His IQ is greater than ours. Right? So he knows what's going to happen. Unless Yahuwah does, hides it from him. Which is why he did not know about the killing of Yahushua for some reason. So we know the devil is going to deceive and he's going to imitate the Messiah so that people will follow the false Messiah, right? This is why when the Messiah died, resurrected, well, the, the false Messiah, the beast, is going to do the same thing. He's going to die and he's going to what? Resurrect because he wants to deceive the people so that what they end up worshiping is a false Messiah, not the true Messiah. So how can we protect ourselves? Well, in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, 2 down to 4, Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God, on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. And so here we have the people who belong to Elohim receive a mark on their foreheads, a seal on their foreheads. The devil knows this. And so he's going to create a mark that will identify those who belong to him. And he gives his mark to the beast because he wants to imitate who? Yahushua. And so whatever Yahuwah is going to do, whatever Yahushua is going to do, the devil and the beast are going to imitate because they want to deceive people. The best way to deceive is to imitate what is the truth. And so he wants to deceive as many people. So he will have his own mark. 
he will have his own uh, sign. He will, he will have his own kind of seal. But what does it mean to have the seal of the living God? How can we protect ourselves so that we don't end up being deceived? That's a good question. Well, what is that seal of the living God? Ephesians 1, 12 to 14, in order that we, uh, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a depositing, deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who were God's possession to the praise of his glory. So what does it mean? To receive the seal. What is the seal? Well, the seal is Yahuwah's own stamp of ownership. The seal means we belong to him. This is why those who have the seal on their foreheads, it means these people don't harm. These people belong to me. Just like what we read in Ezekiel, when Yahushua was going to destroy Jerusalem, those who had the mark, those who were given the seal, well, they were not harmed. And the same, this is the same way, the same thing. There are people who belong to God. Well, who are those who belong to God? They have the seal of the living God. Well, what is the seal of the living God? How can you receive the seal of the living God? The Bible says, when you place your hope and faith or believe in who? Yahusha. That's how you receive the seal. When you believe in Yahusha, when you profess faith in Yahusha, when you're baptized in his name, when you're baptized into his body, that's when you receive the seal. And that seal is the promised Holy Spirit. And so when you receive the Holy Spirit, because you have been baptized into the body of Yahushua, you will accept Yahushua as your Lord and Savior, as proof you are now a part of his body, then you have the seal. You now belong to Yahuwah. So the seal is a mark of ownership. And so the devil also has a mark of ownership. Those who are given the mark of the beast. Yes, you get privileges, right? And those who receive these privileges know that for them to receive it, well, they need to first give up their sovereignty, to give up themselves to the devil and to his beast. And so how can we protect ourselves from this deception? In the book of 2 Corinthians 11, 3 to 4, but I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Yahusha other than the Yahusha we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with, with it easily enough. And so for us to be protected from the deception of the beast, we have to be aware of the serpent's cunning. You see, what the serpent wants to do is to lead us astray so that we end up believing in a different Christ. This is why we need to make sure that the Christ that we worship is the Christ preached by who? The apostles. And so we need to make sure that we pledge our loyalty and allegiance to no one other than who? Yahushua. This is why 
if we want to protect ourselves from the deception. Our pure devotion must be to Yahusha. And when a person begins to place his devotion to someone else, that you are already being misled. And eventually, you'll be taken away from Christ. It's sad that there are some religious organizations today who promote a different leader other than who? Yahusha. Yahusha says, do not have any other rabbi, any other teacher, any other leader except for me. Apostle Paul says, have your pure devotion to Yahusha. The moment we begin to mix our devotions, is, that is when we begin to fall astray. And we can become victims of the enemy. And so we need to preserve the purity of our devotion. It is Christ alone, Yahushua alone. He must be the subject of our devotion. He is our only leader. And lastly, in verse 8, how do we avoid receiving the mark of the beast? Is it resisting getting an implant or tattoo or resisting obeying the commands of the beast? Like what we said, we have to, to protect ourselves from the beast. We have to identify. We must make sure we receive the, the gospel, the correct gospel, the correct spirit, and the correct king, right? And so our standard by which to, we can identify who Christ is, is the one preached by the apostles. And so we have to always look to the, the Christ preached by the apostles. There's deviation from what was preached by the apostles. That's not the true Christ. And so do not follow that Christ. Follow the Christ preached by the apostles. What else? Bible says, do not fall into a different gospel because there are different gospels being portrayed today. The gospel according to blank. The gospel according to blank. And this gospel rejects Yahusha. And so we need to keep away from that. The Bible also says a different spirit. How do we protect ourselves from a different spirit? The book of 1 John 4, 1, 2, 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Yahusha Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Yahusha is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. And even now is already in the world. So the spirit of the Antichrist, it's already here. It was already in the midst of the apostles in the first century, right? But the, the Antichrist will not come until the future. But the spirit of the Antichrist is already present. And so we have to test all things. We have to test all spirits. And there's a combination that we need to be watchful of and be cautious of. It's the combination of a false prophet who rejects Yahusha. Because if someone claims to be a prophet and at the same time rejects and does not acknowledge Yahusha, Bible says that is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is why we have to be aware, because even today there are people who call themselves 
prophets. They even cite biblical passages and say, this prophecy applies to me. Listen to me. You cannot question me because I'm the prophet. And then they reject Yahushua. Oh boy, that's a deadly combination. When you claim to be a prophet, and at the same time you reject Yahushua, that is the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist. We must reject the spirit of the Antichrist. And so that's a caution we need to be mindful of. What also must we be mindful of so that we will not be misled or deceived by the Antichrist? In Revelation 13, 15 or 18, please listen to this. The mark on the right hand, it's on the forehead, right? The mark on the forehead is associated with the name of the beast, the number of his name. And so the Bible mentions that the mark is connected to a name, the name of the beast. In contrast with this, those who do not belong to the beast, but belongs to working Yahusha, well, they have a different name on their foreheads. What name do they have on their foreheads? Revelation 14.1, and I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. And so this gives us a contrast. Those who receive the mark of the beast, they give allegiance and loyalty and affection to the beast who has his own name. But those who belong to Yahuwah, those who belong to the land, Yahusha, Bible says what's on their forehead is the name of who? Yahuwah. In other words, they give their allegiance or loyalty to Yahuwah, right? And the lamb who is Yahusha. This is why our king Yahusha warned us about this. What do you mean? The book of John 5.43, he says, I have come in my father's name. And you do not receive me if another, another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Yahushua's warning about the Antichrist here. He says the Antichrist will come in his own name. And so now we have a standard by which we can determine whether or not this particular person is the one we ought to be following. If he comes in his own name, don't follow him. Unfortunately, according to Yahushua, many will follow the one who comes in his own name. Then Yahushua says, but the one who comes in my father's name, him is the one you should receive. Well, who is the one who came in the father's name? The book of John 17, the last passage of our studies today, 11 and 12. And I know, and now I'm coming to you. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, Holy Father. Keep them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one just as you and I are one. While I was with them, I kept them safe by the power of your name, the name you gave me. I protected them and not one of them was lost except the man who was bound to be lost so that the scripture might come true. And so what's the best way to protect ourselves from the deception of the beast, knowing the name of the father. Because when we know the name of the father, we know the name of the son. <laughs> we know the name of the true Mashiach because the true Mashiach comes in whose name? The father, Yahuwah. 
The false Mashiach comes in his own name. It's got nothing to do with the name of the Father. This is why we need to know and proclaim the name of Yahuwah and his son, Yahusha. Yahusha says, I come in your name because Yahuwah, the name of the Father, is contained in the name of the Son. Yahuwah, Yahusha. And so to protect ourselves from the mark, be loyal to the name of Yahuwah and the name of his son, Yahusha HaMashiach. Okay, that is our lesson. Let us stand for our prayer. Almighty and most holy Abba, Yahuwah Almighty, we pledge our loyalty, our allegiance, our affection, our love, our devotion to you. You are our Abba. You created us and you have given us a calling to be your witnesses. And so we shall proclaim your name, Yahuwah, and we will do our best to please and to honor you. Our King Yahushua, we also pledge our loyalty to you. You came in the Father's name. We believe that you are the Christ, the anointed one. You are the true Mashiach who came to save us. Please help us to do our best that we will remain loyal to you. No matter what happens, even in the midst of persecution and threats of killing, help us to stand our ground, to be loyal to you, because we know if we are to die because of you, indeed, we are most blessed. Because those who die in your name will receive the promised everlasting life. Please help us to be courageous. Help us to take our stand against the enemy. Help us to do our best to profess our faith in you. Father, thank you so much for blessing our study today. Help us to proclaim always your truth and help us to live a righteous and holy way of life. We ask everything, loving Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.